We're going to be in Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. And John 13. Ephesians 3 and John 13. Ephesians 3 and John 13. All right. So I'm going to, I want to give you a little bit of, uh, we want to walk through a little bit of background. I don't want to do the whole context of the book of Ephesians, but let's at least look through chapter 3 here at the beginning. Right at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Okay? So he is referencing here, and he spends a little bit of time even talking down through chapter verse 6 and others where he's talking about his work of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Okay? And and he he goes down to verse 10, and this is what he says. He starts off in verse 9, but in verse 10 he says, to the intent that now unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him, wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So they were having... They were concerned about Paul because you know he is in in um, prison and he is soon near as we can tell soon. Uh, well, he's suffering much tribulations, but he says, "Which is your glory?" And he says this, verse fourteen: "For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory." to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So he says, I just, I want you to be strengthened. Don't let this, my tribulations be a cause for your problem or for you to have trouble. That Christ, verse 17, may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and, and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So just a, a quick, just a really, I'm oversimplifying this, but don't get so caught up in your worry for me that you fail to understand that God is good no matter what happens to me. It's almost as if he's, he's trying to separate their understanding of what's going on for him so that they don't lose their focus. Sometimes we do lose our focus on bad things that happen in this life because bad things happen in this life. And he said, he's telling them, listen, you need to keep your focus. And again, I'm oversimplifying, but you need, to, you need to look for and learn the love of Christ. Begin to know the love of Christ. And then he says in verse 20, I look at verse 20. These, these are going to be our, we're down into our text here. Verse 20, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him, he's repeating himself from verse 20, unto him, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen. Dear Father, we thank you for the day. We ask that you would bless, uh, Lord, in this short um, study that we would look tonight. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I am actually departing from our 
uh, from our uh, <clears throat> book. I'm still in the same thought because I knew there was more yet to be said. I just, I wasn't confident. Uh, the book talks about some interesting things. Uh, at this point, it begins to talk about uh, the church's cause, and it, it uses the term about defending the faith. And um, while I understand the necessity for the defense of the faith and the necessity for all believers. Now, I would be interesting that most of the passages talking about defending the faith are to pastors. That's kind of an interesting thing. Just be sure to preach good doctrine. Um, and while that is a good cause, I don't think those, that's one of the primary causes of the church. I'm certainly not trying to take away from the importance, absolute importance, of good doctrine. Amen. It's absolutely important. There is only one faith. There's not two, there's not three, there is only one. Um, but when it comes down to the primary causes, the primary important things of the church, um, while I understand and recognize the need for every church, and in my mind the requirement for every church to maintain good doctrine, I think that kind of comes with the Great Commission. Okay, That is a part of the Great Commission, which is preach those that believe, baptize, and teach. That what we're supposed to be teaching is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is, I don't know if you know it or not, but this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to spend time there, and I don't want to go on for, for lengthy periods, because uh, even in the book, I think some of the things that he suggests that are, and the verses he uses for the defense of the faith are, I think, stretching a little bit. Um, and I'd prefer to stay in something that is very obviously biblical. And... <clears throat> well, we've talked about this before, and I even talked last week, that one of the primary causes of the church, does everybody remember what last week was? What's the primary causes of a church, of a local church? What's one of our primary causes? Matter of fact, almost the primary cause. Everybody remember? Yeah, the Great Commission, right, spreading the gospel. That is, it's the last words of Jesus to mankind. It's what he told us we should do. It's, okay, now, understand, it is our purpose in being here, okay? It's why we're here. If we are not spreading the gospel, we are not fulfilling the purpose of a church. And I am not the church. I am part of the church. We are the church, Okay, that means every member in here is just as responsible as every other member for giving the gospel to our community. Now you can try to shirk that duty, but what you're doing is you're shirking your responsibility as a church member. Okay, now, so, so, I, can, so I can bring this full circle. That's our primary, primary cause that serves the highest cause of all. The highest cause about for any believer and every, and every church, every believer in every church is this, to bring glory to God. That is the highest cause. You understand that when we lead someone to Christ, who is supposed to get the glory for that? God is. God is absolutely supposed to get the glory for that. He's supposed to get the glory not only for the person being saved, but the person being healed. He's supposed to get the glory that we had, that we had any 
guts or bravery or courage at all to give the gospel, that there was any knowledge at all for us to be able to present the gospel, that the Holy Spirit must have been working to begin with. No man can come except the Father draw him. And the whole thing is about the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we get so caught up in the process, I'm not going to make sure I have the, the right process of giving the gospel, that we just don't give the gospel. Because we think somehow that I'm the only one responsible. No, the Holy Spirit, if he's working on somebody, there has been, I'll just guarantee it, there has been multitudes of people saved under a, an incomplete or possibly even slightly faulty presentation of the gospel. Because someone was seeking God, looking for truth, they had pieces of it, and the last preacher to preach gave them what they needed, and the Holy Spirit was already working, and they themselves understood it. I am, I, that does not negate the requirement for us to preach as accurate as we can. It also doesn't negate the fact that we should just go out and talk about what we know, no matter how much we know. Why? Because it's not about us. The whole thing is and always has been about giving God the glory. Let me ask you a question. How can God get the glory from a church that is failing to, to fulfill the Great Commission. Now you understand that fulfilling the Great Commission does not require that we save people. Understand that. It requires that we preach the gospel. When people get saved, now this is kind of interesting, we, we may not like to hear this, but people are going to get saved. Pause, who adds to the church? God does. God's going to add. So the number added is not up to us. That's beside the point. It really is. It's beside the point. But if we are doing what we're supposed to be doing, there will be additions. And I, I, again, I, I'm trying to help us steer us into a better understanding of what this whole... I, I might, I'm, matter of fact, I'm getting out of my realm here a little bit. But... The song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, is, is not to a particular program of the church. It's to the church. It, we're just supposed to be doing it. it we, don't, we don't have to wait for a particular time period on Tuesday or Sunday or, or Saturday. No, you're just supposed to do it. It's, it's, that's what a church does. It's what church people do. They, they, they work past their fears, and it's scary, and they talk to people about the gospel. You know what's funny? Is interest, this is an interesting thing. It is easier for me, and I'm sure maybe, maybe Brother Luke, who's a little bit more like me in this regard, I, I like talking to people. Brother Luke likes talk, talking to people. If it's a two-hour program, I can, I can knock doors and give people. I know how to give people the gospel at a door. Um, that's an easy thing. You know, blah, 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 blah. Here's the track. Here's where we are. Da, 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 da. It's easier for me to do that that it is for me to sit down across from a dinner table at someone who I just want to be friends with and also consider that they have a soul. And somehow or other, I've got to figure out how to give them the gospel and still try to maintain the friendship so that I can keep giving the gospel. That's a lot harder thing to do. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? And that truly is what we are called to do. We are called to make relationships in this world that allow us to present the gospel and keep presenting. Amen? You know what that means? I don't get a five-minute thing at the door where I can try to cram the gospel down their throat and, oh, I guess God's not working on them. 
And they're at the door going, I hope this person goes away soon. I hope this person goes away soon. I hope this person goes away soon. Are you hearing me? No, it demands that I... I've gone to this, I've gone to this illustration a couple times. Um, I happened to be there when Ron Cox got saved. But Ron Cox got saved because people like Brother Dan and Brother Chester kept going. And they befriended Ron. And they kept talking and they kept visiting. And they talked about other stuff besides the gospel. They met, probably they talked about the weather or hunting or construction. And then eventually every once in a while there would be that encouragement. But, you know, you really need to be saved, you know, and here's another book or here's another track. And it's that keep that constant draw. Amen. Because at some point in there, the Lord's going to work on them. Is everybody, is everybody following me? I'm going to keep hammering this philosophy until we all, until me, <laughs> all of us, including me, learn that the, giving the gospel is not a church program that we do in a couple hours. There's, how many of you all here have been taught how to give the gospel more than once? I mean, we could, most of us raise our hands. It's not just about a two-hour program. It's about a lifestyle of giving the gospel. Amen. Amen. Plus, it's lifestyle evangelism. But it's about a lifestyle of giving the gospel, learning how to bring people to Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, does God get glory when people get saved? Yes. Is that the only way that God gets glory in the church? Y'all are dead tonight. Is that the only way God gets glory in the church? That water tastes minerally tonight for some reason. So I'm going to ask and I'm, I'm looking for answers. Okay, I'm looking for answers. How does God get glory in the church nursery? What a, how does God get glory from the workers? In the nursery? Well, you're not doing a lot of teaching in the nursery, but I get where you're... Maybe some teaching. Yeah, it's not just teaching. What's that? Ooh. Oh, now we're touching it. Now we're touching it. You realize how much love it takes, or love should be shown, to put up with babies down in the nursery. I'm just telling you, I'm glad I don't work in the nursery. Because it takes, it ta- I'm just serious. I, I'm, I don't know that I would have the patience. It takes, it takes people that have a desire to be a blessing, not to the babies, but to the parents. God gets glory in the church when a few people can say, I'm going to put up with this royal pain for another 30 minutes because somebody's up there who either needs to hear the gospel, needs to, needs to be under the preaching, needs to have some a fellowship time with other believing adults. Are, are you hearing me? Uh, amen. And does God get glory because someone sacrifices themselves in the basement? Now, I'm not saying you know, that they have no love, just duct tape them to the wall and duct tape their mouth shut. And, no, obviously, obviously there's love shown. I mean, that's, that's probably Velcro and duct tape would help me out a lot in the nursery. But anyways, but you, you understand, there has to be love shown there too. But how, does God get glory from that? You better believe it. You better believe it. I'm telling you, I have heard visiting parents say things 
positively about, man, the nursery. Like, I didn't even have to go down. I didn't have to go down in the middle of service, and I always have to do that. And meanwhile, there's some nursery worker back there going, oh, my word, this kid is. I mean, they see the parent walk in the door, and you can see about three, three nursery workers go, oh. <laughs> does God get glory from that? Yes, he does. Absolutely. So let me ask you another question. How does God get glory um, in, in the fact that the bills are paid? Because God is supposed to get glory in that. <laughs> yep, sacrifice. Yeah, perfect. Yes, Brother Craig. Yep, what else? Right. Right. Amen. That, there's another aspect to that. Yes? Right. To who? That's, that's my question. Because we're covering the side on our side. It's a good testimony. It gives glory to God when churches pay their bills. Now again, you're saying, well, this already happens. No, not, you understand that God is supposed to get glory from all these things. So I would encourage, you know, those of you working, so let me just stop, pause. If you work in the nursery, don't go down with, oh, it's my turn to do jail duty. No, it's your turn to give God glory through that service. I'm serious. Absolutely serious. Yeah. Cheerful giver. I, Brother Jerry and Miss Vicky, I, I don't envy their job either. Somebody's got to do. Somebody's got to look at the finances and pay the bills and all that. You know, I would encourage them. You know, it's it's about God getting glory. It's not about. It's it's not just about doing things right. And I absolutely want to do things right. But is God going to get the glory? How does? Okay, let me pause. Let's just make it. How does God get to get the glory from congregational singing? There's two answers to that at least. At least two answers to that. How does God get glory from congregational singing? Which is pretty much everybody involved. Amen. I like that one. That's a good answer. I actually hadn't really put that one in there. But yes, it's the one voice of the church doing what? Yeah. Amen. Unity is a good thing. That's a, that's a whole other one we could go to. Amen. But yeah, unified voice giving praise to God. So let me ask you a question, church member. When you're, we just got done singing. Were you giving glory to the God? Well, yeah, I was singing. No, that, no that's not how it works. <laughs> were you giving glory? Were you consciously seeking to give God glory while you were singing? Amen. That, yeah. It always takes me, what, I don't know, two or three verses to get my brain in gear. That's why we do more than one song half the time, you know. And it's interesting to me how often the songs that are being sung, God has guided in the selection. So did you notice like tonight it talked about worship, that God getting glory through worship. Yeah, that's how God's supposed to get glory. Your, your, your being here is not you checking off a, a, a schedule item on your, on your to-do list. 
God's not, you're getting the, let me, let me tell you specifically, you're getting the glory from that if that's all it is. If church to you is nothing more than a checkbox on a schedule or a do right list, then you're the only one getting glory for that. Yep, I've done, my, I've done right today, I'm a good person. No, you're not a good person. <laughs> There's none good, no, not one. Why are you here? To give glory to God. It should be that and that alone. To walk, when you walk through, these, through those back doors, and now, now again, there's multiple ways to give glory to God, but this is glory in the church, okay? Not the building, the people, the assembly, the assembly. So when you walk through those doors and you sing these songs, it's not about, well, this ain't my favorite song, or this ain't my favorite singer, or whatever. That's, who cares? It's never been about you. It has never been about you. It is about who is getting the glory. Amen. Well, I wasn't treated nice, or I'm going to go because I get treated nice. Wrong again. Wrong again. It's about giving God the glory. Amen. Amen. I might have overstepped a little bit there, because we're going to look at a passage that actually helps us along that line as well. So what, what's, what's some other things? How does, how does God get glory by, uh, we're heading into that time, by the sidewalks getting shoveled or sprayed for weeds or yeah, yeah, an, an appearance. If people drive by and it looks like a dump, how does that give God glory? Now, it doesn't look like a dump. I think we're, work, I think we're working very hard at that. I, amen. And is everybody following where I'm going here? Well, yeah, that absolutely. Uh, the fact that we would be concerned that our sidewalks are cleared because other people are walking on them is something that should help people understand, you know, we care. Yeah. And does that give God glory? Does it give God glory that the community understands that this church cares about them? Absolutely. Absolutely. So pause. Not when we say this church cares about them. We want to say, yep, Jerome Bible. No, no. You are the church. <laughs> so, so pause. Is God getting glory from Dana Knudsen's interaction with the community? Because she is Jerome Bible Baptist Church. Is God getting glory from Greg, John, Dan? Not all of us together, which is true also, but each of us also individually. How is God getting the glory? Is everybody following me? I, I hope so. Amen. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I think you understand where I'm going. I'm, I so bad want to drive a nail home here, but I think we'll just go and look at the next passage just to be just to keep things rolling here. So turn over to John chapter 3 with me. I'm sorry, John 13. Not John 3, John 13. So this is um, the, uh, the Last Supper. Judas has been, has been removed, okay? Judas has been removed from this, from this feasting time. It's shortly before Jesus is to be tried and crucified. And so go down to, you can see verse 30 there. He then having received the sop went out immediately out and it was night. That's, that's Judas. Verse 31. Therefore when he has gone out, Jesus, looking now at his beloved, his, his, 
His church, if you will. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. What is He referencing? He's referencing what's about to happen. Uh, Jesus being on the cross. If God be glorified in Him, God shall also glorify Him in Himself, and shall straightway glorify Him. This is a, he's, he's, he's looking forward into the future of the things that are about to happen. And this is, he goes right from glory to God to this. Verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. Verse 34. A new commandment, this is still in the same, same context, believe it or not, it's kind of interesting. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Are you see God getting glory in there anywhere? Oh man, yeah. You understand that I mean, he's talking, he's, he goes from this whole thing about God giving him glory and him being able, therefore, to give glory back to God. And then the cycle starts again because he gives it back to God. God gives it to him and he gives it back to God. And he goes right from that to a new commandment I give unto you. I want you all to love each other. Why? Because everyone out there sees it. And they look and they say, hmm, those people belong to Jesus. That doesn't mean they become believers, but they recognize the connection. Is, does that give glory to God? You know, it, it's a fine line for a church. It's, it really is a fine line to, to draw the attention to themselves or draw attention to Jesus Christ. And there are, there's many, many. Spurgeon has made some good comments about it. And man alive, I mean many, many of the old men. That when a church begins to try to attract the world, they run into a lot of problems because you're trying to attract the wrong thing. We're not trying to attract the world. What we're trying to do is give glory to God. That's what we're trying to do. Now, that doesn't mean everything. we have to let everything go to pot. We need to give glory to God. Amen. In everything that we do. That, should, that means whether it be a Sunday school teacher, someone who's wiping down the pews, someone who's arranging songbooks, someone who's cleaning the toilets, somebody who's handling the finances, someone who's taking up the offerings, someone who's greeting people at the door, Every part of that has an aspect that can give glory and should give glory to God. Amen. Amen. I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's a big deal. Does God get glory when, somebody, when a visitor walks in here and they're completely ignored? Is God glorified at all in that? No. No. Does God get glory from... Listen Now listen here. Does God get glory from a visitor walking in here, sitting behind someone she has no clue who they're talking about and hearing them talk about someone across the other side of the church going, (laughs) we just take the visitor out. Does God get glory for me going, no. No. How does God get glory in the church? He He gets glory in the church when we seek to purposefully do so. Give him glory. Think through. Can, do you think God takes glory? I just an interesting thing. Do you think God takes glory from people who really don't understand how to do it, but they're trying? Pfft, yeah. You, absolutely. Do, 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 uh, 
What do you think, what, what do you think it is to God to receive glory from us sinful humans? I, th- this is how I think about it. <clears throat> it's like when my kids are little. Uh, matter of fact, it, it, it's still, I, I, get, I still get some of the kids in the church bring me color pictures or something they've drawn. I keep every one of them. I, I treasure those things. I write on the back, this was by so-and-so. Well, some of that's blackmail, so I can haul out later and say, yeah, no. <laughs> just, but I write a little on the back, this was from so-and-so on this date. They're five years old. And, it's, and I treasure it. Those are little things. All they're trying to do is they're trying to say, here, they're, they're, they're wanting to be a blessing, and I am receiving the blessing. Do you think the things that we bring to God look like Rembrandt and Van Gogh? But does God receive glory from it? Absolutely. And look at this. John 3.13 says this. One of the ways we do that, or John 13, I keep saying 3.13. John 13.34 says this. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. What does, what's the Greek word for church? I've said it a hundred times. What's that? Ecclesia. What does it mean? What's a, give me, there's a one-word answer, really. One-word answer. What? Assembly. Church is assembly. It's assembly. That's what it is. It's to assemble. That's what literally church, you, you cannot have church and not assemble. It just can't. It, that's not church. So, assemble and love each other. Love each other out there. Love each other in here. God gets the glory. Now, how does God get the glory from that? <laughs> because sometimes those people aren't all that lovable, are they? I'll let that one hang in the air for a little while. So let's just pause. And I, I've asked this before, but how many want to be loved? Yeah. Now, not mushy-gushy and all that. That's you know, for other stuff. But I want, to, I want to be loved. I want to be loved for who I am. In spite of me. Isn't it wonderful when somebody loves you and they actually know you and they still love you? That's what church is supposed to be. And we are so scared to death of being real in this building. And if there's any place, I say this building, this group, this assembly, if there's any place that we need to be real, I'm not talking about blatantly sinful. I'm just talking about we need to be real people, it's here. And the place that we need to expect to receive love in spite of our being real, is here. The most, the most prickly among us ought to get the same hugs as everyone else. Welcoming arms should be open to all. Amen. That's, he, that's a, a new commandment. Kind of interesting that Jesus would call it that because he's placing the emphasis on how important it is that believers love each other. Amen. And that certainly ought to happen in this building that we overlook each other's issues and love each other. That's hard to do, ain't it? That's how God gets glory, because when we move outside of ourselves to obey God, God gets glory. Amen. Amen. I could walk through this a whole long time, but I think I've, I've illustrated it beyond and beyond and beyond. We've got enough of it. God needs to get glory 
from Jerome Bible Baptist Church, and we are Jerome Bible Baptist Church. So let me ask you a question. Not how is the person across the aisle or the person that's on the other side of the pew or the guy standing up front or the guy sitting back there at the soundboard, how are they going to give glory? No, how are you going to give glory in Jerome Bible Baptist Church? How are you going to give God glory in this church? In what way are you going to do it? And you can do it in many, many ways. And it starts wherever you are at any moment. Amen. Walking through the day, how can I give glory to God through my church where I am at right now, in my job, here in the congregation when I'm getting gas? Amen. How can, how can God get glory with me as a member of my church? How can, how can it work? How can it happen? Amen. These are good things. I, the reason I'm not going to go much further is because you have to answer that for yourself. You really do. You have to figure that out for yourself and attempt it and work at it for yourself. You, I'm telling you, you'll be, the hap- you'll be one of the happiest believers you can ever be when you begin to see that God is getting glory. Amen. It's the best thing for a believer to have. And it, it can start with the simplest thing of learning to love each other. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, I know this is almost oversimplified, but Lord, absolutely.